What is happening, NBA fans? Welcome into another week of Dropping Dimes. Uh, I hope everybody's been good in my absence for all of uh, one week, but uh, was out of town last week and didn't have a show. Couldn't pre-tape or take my equipment with me, so uh, no show last week, which is a rarity during the season. I I don't know that I've ever missed a week uh, since I started doing Dropping Dimes. Uh, actually, one. One ever. I had Ellis host. Uh, I was back at Collider, but that's it. So we are back to talk a little hoops uh, here, and there's quite a bit to discuss. I mean, the the landscape of the league has changed, um, with the biggest being the uh, Philly and Nets trade that I haven't really discussed, but we can get to that in due time. What I wanted to discuss today is considering – we're three quarters of the way through the season now for all teams. Everybody's roughly got 20 games left. So we're coming into the home stretch and we're going to begin getting a clearer and clearer, you know, picture of what the playoffs are going to look like. And certain teams are trending in the right direction. And a few teams are trending in the wrong direction. And basically, I created all of this as an excuse to open the show by talking about the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, What sucks is I was intending on going to see them play, and I had uh, COVID, so I couldn't go. So I'll have to wait till next year because I've been wanting to see Ja in person um, since I glimpsed him on an NBA court. The guy's electric, to say the very least, as evidenced by the game from a couple nights ago where he just flat out went off. I mean, he had that almost half-court three-pointer. He had the alley-oop buzzer beater. He had the throwdown on Pirtle, and it was a thing of beauty. And Memphis is definitely trending in the right direction. Of the teams, towards the end of the year, they're arguably them or the Celtics are the hottest team in basketball right now. And they are going to take over second place in the West. It's a fait accompli. They're going to do it. It's just a matter of time. Golden State has been up and down for quite a while now. And the Memphis Grizzlies will supplant them into the number two spot. Now, they have an outside chance, albeit a small one, but they have an outside chance of taking over first place. Now, I know what you're saying. Phoenix is the best team in basketball, and they've got a seven-game lead on the Grizzlies right now. Completely true. But Chris Paul is out for more than likely the rest of the regular season. And when you take off his floor generalship, now you need campaign to be that guy out there. And he showed flashes of it in the playoffs. I'm still not sure that I'm a buyer or believer of that night in, night out, but, you know, prove me wrong, Cam. But then, you know, Devin Booker has stepped up in these past three games in his absence, uh, but they're one and two in those games, and now Booker's going to be out tonight. And if you look at their schedule, there's a very good chance they're going to hover right around 500-ish because their strength of schedule is pretty decent. It's nowhere near as... uh as good as Memphis's Memphis has the second easiest strength of schedule to close out. So they play more teams that are 
sub 500 than damn near everybody else in the league. So given their easier schedule to close and Phoenix now dealing with the absence of arguably their best player, if you want to sell me it's Booker, that's fine. I just think that CP gives them the identity with which they play now. And he's so methodical late in game that he calms and steadies them. So to not have that leader out there, you know, uh, steadying his guys, calming them down could have a detrimental effect. And perhaps they don't feel the pressure since they have such a great lead right now on the rest of the West. Um, that some of these games could easily slip through their grasp in Memphis is just full throttle right now. And the crazy thing about Memphis is once you start to look into the stats, it doesn't make a lot of sense. They're roughly middle of the road in overall field goal percentage. They're like 14th or so, which is fine. They're shooting 47% from the floor. Not great, but not the worst. They attempt almost the least number of threes in the league, which in the modern NBA is usually a recipe for disaster, but they attempt 29 and a half threes a game, uh, which puts them at 28 out of 30 teams in the league for overall attempts. Then you couple that with they shoot, they don't shoot that many of them, and then they shoot 34.2% from three-point, which puts them at 21st in the league which should be the death knell for any team. How in the world are they surging in this direction when they shoot average from the field overall, and then they don't shoot well by any stretch of the imagination from three. And I mean, one thing, if you're shooting 34% and you're also, you know, top five in attempts, well, you're making up for that low percentage in the aggregate by getting more uh, shots at the, the rim, but they're not shooting that much and you're not shooting that effectively. The difference where they make up for it is in hustle. They crush in a lot of hustle stats. Um, oh, here's another one on the shooting side. They're number one in free throw attempts, but 28th in free throw percentage at 71.6%. So they get more free throws than anybody else, but they make them at one of the worst rates in the entire league. There's only two teams worse at making free throws. But anyway, on the hustle stats, now they don't turn the ball over too much. They're in the top third. They're number 10. But where they crush the rest of the league is they're number one in rebounds and they're number one in offensive rebounds. And the difference between them and second place in offensive rebounds is the difference between second place and seventh place. So they're just getting more shots, which also leads to their number one in field goal attempts and number two in field goal made. So they're just taking more shots and they're exerting more force and more of their will when it comes to tracking down those loose balls, those 50-50 balls. They're getting more of them. They don't. Uh, uh, they also cause tons of turnovers. They're second in blocks overall and they're third in steals, and they're only a third of a steal a game behind number one. 
Number one's at like 9.3. Number two's at 9.1, and they're at nine steals a game. So it's not like they're wildly far off from being number one in steals either, although with 20 games left in the season, more than likely it's going to stay somewhere right around this point. Uh, They might be able to take second place. We'll see. But still, so it's all the hustle stuff. They're going to crush you on the boards. They're going to crush you uh, on the defensive side. They don't turn the ball over much. They get to the free throw line. Uh, it's just weird when you look at it overall, you look at the percentages, like they, they shoot okay from the floor and they shoot poorly from three. And yet they're a team that everybody right now is fearing because they're playing with such brash confidence, um, and deservedly so, but it's just all these young guys who really have a sense of the moment and that they're going to push and they're going to make you earn every second. Desmond Bain talking shit to LeBron, basically saying, "I we're not afraid of you. Uh, and shit, Luca was saying that last night. I don't know if anybody watched that game, but Luca's calling for a switch to get LeBron on him. Uh, oh, how the tide has turned. Still, though, asking a lot of a guy with that many miles on his odometer after playing all these years in the league. And he's still a really good defender when he needs to be. It's just for 48 minutes, that shit isn't going to happen anymore. But to see someone actively call to get a switch, to get him on him. I don't know. I, I, you knew that day was coming and yet still it's weird to see. Um, but Memphis, I mean, Memphis, they're just coming for you. So they have a chance of being number one in the West, of controlling their destiny. Now, the likelihood is pretty slim. Phoenix just needs to play basically like 55 or uh, 600 ball to close out the year, and Memphis would have to be near perfect, and that's just not going to happen. But if Phoenix plays 500 ball and Memphis, if you look at Memphis's schedule, there's only three, four maybe five games where I'm like that, that could be a loss. They've got a bunch where it's like, they should blow them out. This should be a no brainer. This one might be close, but I'll just go ahead and say they've got momentum and I'm going to hedge my bets and go with them here. Uh, and then you go through Phoenix's schedule and I did it last night and I came up and, you know, Phoenix was roughly playing about five fifty to 600. And with Booker being out tonight, now this could be one they steal, but if they lose this one, it's like it's just a cascading effect. It very well could wait in Memphis's favor. But, I mean, it's it's impressive to watch right now. All these young guys playing with a tremendous amount of confidence that usually belies championship potential. Whenever a young team that hasn't done it is playing like this, they're a real threat. So we'll see. We'll see. But Memphis is a team trending in the right direction. And I'm going to stay in the West for a couple more. And then I'm going to switch over to the East and talk about some surging teams over there. And then uh, if we got time, we'll get into the slumping and the middling teams. Um, Another team in the West to be concerned with is Denver. Right now, they're playing excellent basketball. They're 8-2 and over their last 10. They're hanging with all these teams. There's a bevy 
of teams right now in the West that are eight and two in their last 10. It's Phoenix, Memphis, Utah, Dallas, and Denver. But the difference for Denver, I think, and why they're the team that I'm the second most interested in with their surging ability is Michael Porter Jr. is now on the road to coming back. He just got assigned to the G League team, and he's going to be participating with them to get him back up to game speed. And on top of that, Jamal Murray looks like he is on a trajectory to come back this season. Now, is he going to come back and play like he was in Orlando? That's a tall ask. But he does give you somebody who's not afraid of the moment, is can uh, shoot the big shots, and is willing to shoot the big shots, and would alleviate a lot of the offensive pressure that Jokic operates under right now. And in my opinion, if I had a vote, I think I'd give the MVP to Jokic. Now you could say, oh, Philly is third, about to be second, more than likely, because the Bulls are slipping a little bit. And traditionally, you give the MVP to a team in the top two to three in a conference. With that being said, on a night-in, night-out basis, I think Jokic is doing more with less. I mean, Embiid does not have has not had Simmons all season, right? But he's had the the stability of the rest of his team by and large there, so they have some sort of commonality. Whereas Jokic is missing the second best player, and then the third best player goes out, and then they're juggling lineups until they get some sort of stability. But it's been all him, and every defense that comes in knows we're going to force him to do everything. And yet he still does. And not saying Embiid didn't do that, but you still had, you know, you got uh, Tobias who can go off for you. Uh, Curry, before he was traded, was really good for him. Danny Green, um, you know, on down the line. Tyrese Maxey has been a nice revelation for him this season. Uh, But anyway, Denver, they're already playing excellent basketball. And they're not too far out of, say, getting to, like, the fourth seed. They're two and a half games back of the Jazz in the fourth seed, and Denver's currently sitting in sixth. And if they continue to play basketball like this, and then you start adding in these extra pieces, boy, that turns into an even scarier team. Before Murray went down, I thought Denver had a really good shot of winning a championship. And if he comes back and is any semblance of what he once was, they have a championship window again because they're still a young team predominantly. So if you fill in around the margins going forward and you have Jokic still in his prime leading these MVP-like seasons, that's going to be a team to to reckon with. and They're going to be tough to deal with. So Denver is another one where I can't wait for the next two to four weeks once they get Porter back and then to get a more firmer timeline on Jamal Murray. But all indications are he's got a good shot of coming back by the end of the season, if not the very start of the playoffs. That could be interesting. Do I favor them to win a championship? No. I still think it's one of the top three teams in the West uh, would be my odds on favorite to win the championship this year. Uh, and depending on when Chris Paul comes back and how he's feeling 
Phoenix would be the no-brainer choice. Um, because I think if anybody could reintegrate himself quicker into an offense, uh, the quickest would be Chris Paul. But Denver is another one. Surging in the right direction, getting some interesting players back, be on the lookout for Denver. And then the other team in the West are the Dallas Mavericks. Now, Utah, I'm glossing over you, I realize. Um, But we've seen you consistently do this in the regular season where you're a hell of an out night in, night out. But I got to see it come playoff time before I actually believe in this. Eight and two in your last ten. So it's not like it's illegitimate and you're winning a bunch of games. And that's even with the loss of, you know, Joe Ingles made some, you know, uh, uh, additions with uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. But at the same time, it's roughly the same team. Whereas with Dallas, you have new coach, new identity. And to start the season, it's like, I don't know about this. Jason Kidd, it's not looking exactly great so far. And since then, they have really bought in on the defensive side. It's something that I didn't anticipate for this season was Dallas turning into one of the better defender teams. And you want to talk about like within this surging teams over the past 20 games, Dallas is third in team defense and fifth in net rating over the past 20 games but they're just shutting people down. It's really impressive to watch on a, a Luca led team. I didn't anticipate talking about that team's defense before the season started. Now their offensive rating over that 20 game stretch is 11th, which is not ideal. You want to be top 10 in all three metrics if you have a real shot of making some noise in the playoffs, and they could bump that up. But with a net rating as fifth and your defense playing so stoutly, you can weather the offensive you know, rating not being as high as 10 other teams. So it's not the end of the world. The other thing to look forward to for Dallas is their strength of schedule is sixth, as in sixth easiest. So they could be surging up in the Western standings. Now I brought up Denver before and they have the 15th um, hardest strength of schedule. So it's a dead middle of the entire league and Dallas was sixth and Memphis with the second easiest. So the Warriors are dropping kind of guaranteed in my mind. I'm seeing Dallas and Denver surging up and Utah basically playing like 600 basketball going six and four out of 10. And those two teams going eight and two or nine and one out of 10 and just inching over. Now the thing is, I think one through six um, is pretty much set. I don't see any of those teams dropping down into the playoff game because it would take a hell of a move by Minnesota. Who's playing really good basketball as of right now. Um, but they're just not winning on the same clip as everyone else. So they could be in the driver's seat when it comes to the play-in game in that seventh position, and then they'll have to play the Clippers as of right now. And things hold. I don't see how that changes either because below them are the Lakers, 
who are a slumping team. We can get to later if we get to it. And then below that are the Pelicans, who actually have a shot of supplanting the Lakers into that ninth position. Then you would need an 11 and 12 Portland or San Antonio. If you're a Laker hater, if you want them to drop out of 10, Portland ain't going to do it. They're going to slowly, but surely like mysteriously bench most of their team um, to improve their draft odds and just try and retool around a Dame. So you'd need San Antonio to make a push and really get up there or hypothetically Sacramento. But I think as of right now, the top 10 in the West is pretty much set unless Portland's, you know, second team guys who wouldn't normally be getting any run, continue to squeak out wins here and there when their front office is actively front office and coaching staff are actively trying not to win those games. Um, It's possible. But pretty much think those are set. But then, yeah, Dallas and Denver could surge upwards. End of the season, more than likely it's going to be Phoenix at one, Memphis at two. Um, will Golden State drop below three? It's hypothetically possible. If they did, they'd have to like drop down to, say, like fourth-ish. Dallas, I think, gets up to third. Uh, Utah's dropped down to fifth or sixth and Denver maybe supplants them. But I think that top six pretty much stays unless one of those teams has a catastrophic injury. Um, I just don't buy into Minnesota being able to jump up into the non-play and playoff teams. But those are your surging teams in the West. In the East... The number one team right now surging is Boston. It's really impressive. Now, doing the same thing I did with the Mavs, over the last 20 games, they're number one in net rating at 13.9, which is massive. They're five points. Their differential is five points higher than number two, which is the Suns, which is the same rough basically the same dis- difference between second place Suns and ninth place Philly that's how good a basketball Boston is playing as of late now they are surging Jalen Brown went down last night with a hell of an ankle roll uh, that looked like it hurt from afar and I know he wanted to come back and play last night uh, but I don't know if any of you watching or listening have ever rolled your ankle that hard uh, I have one time ever to where I lifted my leg up to look at it after I rolled it, and my leg was just quivering because I, I that was the muscle spasm of what it was going through. And I don't know if Jalen's was even worse, but an ankle roll like that has now sidelined Anthony Davis for the foreseeable future. Probably going to be out for the bulk of the regular season, if not right up until the playoffs. Um, so that did not look fun. But Boston is just playing really excellent basketball right now. And that addition of Derek White, which most people weren't, you know, wowed by, which that's not the type of player he is. But what he is is the type of player that fits into a ball movement offense that does all the little things, sets the screens, is looking for the extra pass, um, 
has not shot particularly well from three since he's gotten to Boston, but more than likely that will clear itself up once he gets back to, you know, the sample size is so small. He's being integrated into a new offense, a new environment, new teammates. It's hard to look at it and say, when you're not apex like James Harden and your identity is so strong that it helps mold shape and dictate the identity of the team. Derek white needs to fit in a little bit more seamlessly. And that should take more time um, just to figure out what exactly your role in this, but it's a solid pickup. Somebody that you can rely on that you don't have to worry about will make the correct decision. Uh, is a good teammate. And you couple that with like, Time Lord, uh, Robert Williams, his his improvement this year, you know, I figured he looked like he was going to be an athletic defender, just rely on his athleticism for his defense, which is going to catch guys quite a bit, but also he's going to get burned. And when you watch him now this season, he's making smarter and smarter reads, knowing when to exercise his will on the defensive end. And when you have somebody like that, it's like, go ahead and try and penetrate deep into the paint on us. It's going to be really difficult for you. Plus, he can go all the way out to the three-point line to defend. He's not, you know, he's fleet of foot. Now, the, the biggest problem for Boston is their strength of schedule is fourth hardest remaining. They've got a tough schedule to close out. But... They're playing really excellent basketball right now and with a belief and confidence that might be able to push that strength of schedule from fourth to middle of the pack type of thing. Where, yes, they might be playing some pretty difficult teams on there, but given their depth and their youth, they'll be able to to outplay those, those individuals who might be resting guys towards the end of the season or by dealing with injuries themselves as people come back into the rotation. But Boston is one to look out for. Um, there's two more in the East that I think are surging in the right direction. Miami is number one, but last night was a good, or the their last game rather was a good game for them against the Bulls to really, you know, this is one and two. And they've been trading spots over the past couple of weeks. One is number one for a day. Then the next one is number one for the next day. And it's just gone back and forth and back and forth. And they finally meet up. Now the bulls aren't operating anywhere near full strength, but you play the team that's in front of you, not the hypothetical one that's on paper. And still in this stretch, the bulls have beaten quite a few teams. DeRozan has had a, a renaissance and he's entered into the MVP discussion. So it's not like they're a walkover and uh, you don't have to respect them. And Miami just came out and dictated the terms of that game from, from jump. And the crazy thing about them is they have not been healthy by any stretch of the imagination for the vast majority of the season. They're just now getting back to health, although Lowry's out for personal reasons for the second straight game. Uh, he had that, what was it, like a nine-game stretch not too long ago for personal reasons. I don't know what it was, to be perfectly honest. Um, but they've just gotten back to some semblance of full strength and 
they're number one in the league right now. Now they've got a decently hard schedule. They're middle of the pack. Um, one spot worse than Denver, their 14th hardest strength schedule. But you got to believe in what Miami does because all these guys go out, right? And they get tremendous production from Yurtsevin and Caleb Martin and Max Struess uh, and Gabe Vincent. Had you heard of any of those names before this season? No. I hadn't, at least. I mean, Yurtsevin kind of sounds vaguely familiar, but I think I might be conflating that with other names that I've heard in the past. I don't know any of these players. And that yet when you watch them, it's like, man, they play with an intensity and a hustle. And Spolstrom has them coached up to a degree where they know exactly what they need to be doing. It's kind of like when Toronto debuts some of their new young guys. Like the first few times you saw Boucher, you're like, who is this dude? Another, you know, second round or G League guy that they have coached up and are suddenly out there making winning plays. And Miami has that in spades. And I mean, they've been juggling lineups all season. You go to basketball reference and you can look at their starting lineups for the season. And it's a hodgepodge, man. It's been a mash unit for so long. And you could say that about the Bulls as well with, you know, the loss of three key guys for extended periods over the season uh, and then being hit with COVID on top of that. But Miami is plug and play with a whole bunch of dudes that I just did not know beforehand. And it's been really impressive to watch. So Miami is another one where they are trending in exactly the right direction. And while things could dramatically, not dramatically change, but things could change in the East. I think it's theirs to lose as far as home court advantage over the course. Um, so the final team in the East is Philly and it's impossible not to have this discussion without having Philly. They just got James Harden. And I don't know if you watched like that Knicks game. I did. It's not enjoyable basketball to watch because of the free free throw festival, but that is going to push them in the regular season to a higher seed overall. They're just going to get to the line. Now, will that evaporate in the playoffs? Go talk to James Harden about how many free throw attempts he gets in the playoffs versus the regular season. It's a different, it's a night and day type of situation. The officials swallow their whistle more in the playoffs and you're going to need to be able to prove it. And that's one of the other reasons that I kind of ding Embiid. He gets a lot of calls and it's to me, it's him falling down so much. And some of that is injury prevention. I get it. And others is he realized he's going to be rewarded if he dramatically falls down. So he dramatically falls down. It's very much to me, Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, you can keep a clicker and a counter and there's like, did he fall down more? Or did he get more rebounds tonight? And I think that's a 50-50 split, depending on which night it is and the type of competition he's going up against. Um, and that is me being you know, prejudicial against certain aspects of the game that I'm not a fan of watching, and I think it kind of worsens the product, to be perfectly honest. 
Uh, I would love to legislate out more and more free throws. I missed the beginning of the season when the refs weren't calling anything and it was more FIBA basketball. So guys weren't getting 15, 20 trips to the line. Now there are nights where it's fully deserved and Embiid does go down into the paint and get a bunch of those calls. But I also think a guy his size, much like Shaq, should be officiated a little bit differently because he's going to be fouled every single play. So you're going to have to to pick and choose when exactly and how much he should be going to the line because it dramatically changes the complexion of a game. But that, that Knicks game with him and Harden, dear God, they might as well make the, the put a jersey on the free throw line because that's the sixth player out there for the 76ers. And that is a hell of an advantage. You have two guys that the refs are more than willing to call offensive fouls for or defensive fouls against the opposing team, however you choose to look at it. Um, and also you know, have certain aspects of their game that, that should complement each other, like pick and roll. James Harden loves to run a pick and roll, especially with a rim running center. And Embiid doesn't mind dunking on people. So that's a fun little uh, new wrinkle in the Sixers offense. It's what I was hoping more for uh, from this year with uh, Westbrook and AD. It's like Dennis Schroeder threw, I think, some ridiculous single-digit number of alley-oops all of last season on rim running to Anthony Davis. And it's one of Westbrook's favorite things to do. Um, and Harden is very much the same. If he's got a rim running big, he will find them to get easy dunks throughout the course of a game. And Philly is surging in the right direction because when you add somebody of that caliber who was disgruntled in his last situation, um, you know, do I think that if Kyrie had gotten vaccinated and was there the whole season and they were winning more games that Harden would be in Philly still? Or not Philly, but pardon me, uh, Brooklyn still? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do, because winning cures all. Uh, and when you have that with Kevin Durant and you want to win a championship, well, find me a team that has that much offensive firepower that can either hang with them or show me a team that has enough defense to slow that down. And it had been near impossible. So I think Philly has to be a team that's on the radar of everybody else in the East now. They went from an interesting one that I think could be had in the first round and teams wouldn't fear as much to, well, they're going to be a tough out no matter what round you get them in. Um, so they're surging. They should be surging in the right direction. Right now, their record over the last 10 doesn't belie that fact, but um, they haven't fully integrated Harden. So we'll see how this you know, ends up after another 20 games where this rolls out. Um, all right, I'm going to get into the chat since I've been yammering on now for 
36, 37 minutes. Uh, Jake Cleveland says, as a Jazz fan, I'm scared of the Grizzlies. I do not blame you. Uh, the only team I think that shouldn't be afraid is a fully healthy Phoenix team. I think everybody else should be rightly afraid of Memphis. Um, Jeremy Bowers asked, why do you think the Warriors are so up and down? Well, they're reintegrating Clay back into their offense. Draymond has been out, and he's the linchpin of their defense and helps them on the offense. He's a catalyst for passing the ball around and pinging it from the elbows and from the free throw line. Um, but just someone that can survey the court, read what the defense is going to give you, and then figure out where the optimal place is uh, to get the ball going to. Um, Steph is shooting the worst of three from three in his career on second highest, most attempts. Now I'm not including the, what was it? The 2019, 20 season where he only played five games. That doesn't count. Sample size is too small. If you extract that, this is the worst he shot from three. And when he is shooting 12 attempts from three and hitting 37%, like that's a lot of shots. And considering your career average is 41 or 42%, it makes a difference. Um, plus, Wiggins has not played well as of late. His numbers are down. Um, Clay is just now, he's slowly rounding into shape, and his minutes are creeping up to, I think he's at roughly like 25 minutes a game right now, and he used to average 34 to 35 a season. So it's slowly getting back to, um, but I think it's just the, they're a shooting team. And if they go, they're a jump shooting team, rather, if they go slightly cold, they don't have the interior presence to out rebound people. Um, so on those cold nights, they're going to get, you know, they're going to take an L. Now it hasn't happened too crazy often, uh, this season. They're still the second best team in basketball right now by record. Uh, I just think that they're, you know, they have to be worried about slipping. Definitely out of that top two, but down to three or four, you just don't want to lose any any semblance of home court advantage. Um, and I think slipping past four, I don't foresee happening. But out of two down into three, done. I'll guarantee that happens. And what happens after that? We'll see. Um, oh, Riley Pangrass is answering Jeremy. They're not having a nice little chat there. Uh, and then Jake Cleveland. I love it. There we go. That's what I want to see. A chat amongst yourselves within there. Somebody brings up a question. I didn't address it immediately. They're still, you know, participating in the show. Uh, beautiful. Way to be uh, Jake, Jeremy, and Riley. Um, Marcus Driscoll says that Adams for JV trade got a lot of shit in the offseason, but it was a great deal for the Grizzlies. And Brooks will be back soon, too. I actually am not a Dylan Brooks fan. I would prefer to just have Desmond Bain play all of those minutes because I think Brooks can shoot you out of a game. I appreciate his confidence. It's a thing of beauty. And at the same time, I feel it's misplaced. Uh, so I could easily be proven wrong, but I would much rather be giving those shots to Desmond Bain. Um, but yeah, I, JV, I thought was an excellent you know, uh, individual for their team. Gave them a lot of what they needed, especially some three-point shooting. And 
Steven Adams, who doesn't love Steven Adams? Let's be perfectly honest. Seems like one of the best dudes. Um, but if he's not catching a lob, I'm not sure what he's shooting. So it's like, oh, okay, what exactly is he going to give you? But he helps to give you what I brought up earlier, those hustle stats. He's helping you on the re- on the boards and especially the offensive boards uh, and uh, you know blocks, which they're top of the league in, and all those small little things. It gives you an enforcer out there, somebody that you got to respect. Um, frees up Jaron Jackson Jr. from having to play any kind of fives or anything like that. So, yeah, Steven Adams has been a great addition. It's nice to see him on a team that has a very good shot of making a lot of noise in the West and potentially in into the finals. It's not inconceivable that their OKC from back in the day or Phoenix and Atlanta last year. It's entirely possible. Um, Jake Cleveland says for being an MVP, it doesn't seem like Jokic uh, gets much love. Uh, no, the weird thing is according to reports out of his home market, a bunch of the talk radio there too, doesn't really appreciate what he does. But then when you watch him, you're like, this dude is amazing. Just flat out amazing. He looks still looks out of shape, even though he's in better shape than I am. And yet he is crushing dudes. Um, so then Riley Pangrass, there we go. Even more inner uh, uh, discussion chat there going on. So Marcus Driscoll says, Utah, Denver, and Dallas are really bunched up at the moment. Tomorrow night's Boston versus Memphis game is going to be fire. Yeah. The two hottest teams in the league right now squaring off. Now, I haven't seen an injury report on Jalen Brown, so not entirely sure it's a true representation of the two teams if Jalen Brown isn't out there. But that being said, once again, you play with the team that you have. So should be really interesting. Um. All right, so more and more of the inner uh, inner chat discussion. So Riley Pangrass says, missed the last Philly game. Was Embiid's 60 free throws him f- falling or just teams unable to guard him one-on-one now due to Harden? Um, I mean, look, some of them were legitimate. He's getting crushed. And there was another, there was just one where it was a ticky-tack foul, and Embiid fell down, so the ref just knee-jerk calls the foul, and it's you're rewarding bad behavior, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, Giannis draws just as many free throws, but Giannis is barreling into the lane for all of those. And... You never see Giannis fall down unless Giannis got knocked down. He would rather try and muscle his way through the contact and then mean mug you afterwards. And I have zero problem when a guy is getting that many free throws when he's barreling into the rim. It's like at the start of the season when Jimmy Butler was still getting all his free throws and everybody's like, well, see, maybe the rules change. Uh, Some guys are still getting their free throws and they're not swallowing their whistles. because Yeah. Jimmy doesn't shoot from outside. 
until late in game, if if the Heat or whatever team he's on needs a three, he is going to shoot from 15 feet and in. So he's going to draw those fouls. Um, and Embiid should be doing that. It's just the falling every time. Him and Davis, it kills me. Like just some of the bullshit. It's like you you're so much bigger than everybody out there, especially Embiid. You're mass. There's no way you should be pinging off dudes and falling down this much. Um, but anyway, it, it's a little of both. I would say most of them are deserved, uh, but he just does. He gets a few ticky tacks that just drive me nuts, but perhaps that'll change. I don't know. Need to watch more uh, games of this newest iteration of the Sixers. Um, So Rashawn Robinson, our resident Heat fan, is crowing about how well his Heat are doing. I get it. I get it. And now, listen, you know, going into that game with the Bulls, I wasn't anticipating us winning um, just because we have not played well against the top-tier teams in either conference. Uh, We haven't beaten Philly, uh, Milwaukee, Miami, Golden State, or Memphis. We're 0 for 11 against those teams good times um but yeah miami is in the driver's seat as far as the east is concerned um i have you know fear that phoenix might drop out of first albeit slim whereas i think miami has a much better chance of just controlling their destiny destiny in this regard because they're pretty much back to full strength once lowry comes back from whatever the, the personal uh issue stuff is um so Jeremy Bauer says, I need the Lakers to blow up this team. I mean, Westbrook's not going to be on this team after the season. And they're a team that's slumping. I, I've watched several of their games as of late. Um, I enjoy hate watching the Lakers. I like it when they lose. And it's not, I have nothing against the franchise themselves or the fact that they're winners uh, and they win a bunch. I'm all in favor of that, especially you know, it's Los Angeles. You got the mystique and all that jazz. I just think their fans are the most delusional and worst of any. And well, perhaps it's because I'm right in the heart of all of their fans, but the expectation level for every year's roster is so wildly disproportionate more often than not to the makeup of the team itself. It's just frustrating to have and hear conversations where it's like, I don't, if that is your opinion, I don't think you actually watch the games. But on some level, this team will be blown up. Westbrook will be gone. They now have, at the end of the season, they'll have two first-rounders they can trade as opposed to just one at the trade deadline. They'll have their 27 and their 29. Do they want to forego the next seven years' draft picks in the first round? It's a great question. Um. You know, there's rumors floating around that uh, from other, you know, league executives saying perhaps it's now is the time to sell high on LeBron or AD. AD's been the rumors as of the past couple of days. And LeBron was like last week when he was doing all the nonsense from the, the All-Star game of praising Sam Presti and uh, talking about how he's the third all-star from Cleveland and yada, yada, yada. Um, they just don't have a lot of assets to really blow up too much. 
I mean, Westbrook will be an expiring contract technically after the season. I just don't know who wants to take on 40 some odd million of an expiring Westbrook deal and give up assets for that. Right. Unless it's a small market team and he indicates that he'll resign with them. And even then, what kind of number does Westbrook need to make himself feel whole in order to want to resign with the said team? Cause I don't want to pay him anywhere near that, that type of money. Do I think he'd be good on somewhere like New York? Yeah. Uh, will he propel them to championship level? No, but he give them a, Hey, I give a shit here night in night out. Unlike Julius Randall say, um, there's just moments this season. Julius Randall is fully checked out in games. So, I mean, that's going to be the biggest move. And then after that, it's just going to be all the stuff on the margins. Most of your vet men's are going to be gone. Um, and you're going to be cash strapped anyway, unless you can get off that Westbrook, but you're going to have to take money back. So it's not like you're going to be making dramatic improvements again. Um, they will find somewhere for rest West, but, uh, I just don't know where that will be, but yeah, they had, according to all reports, they had zero takers on a THT plus none plus first rounder THT plus Westbrook plus first rounder. THT, like nothing. Their assets are some of the lowest in the league as far as ones that they are willing to trade that have any semblance of value outside of Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um, Professor Rhino asks, Heat or Bucks tonight? Uh, let's see. It is in Milwaukee. But Milwaukee's been up and down as of late. Um, and the Heat been playing pretty excellent basketball. By up and down, it's just they're not playing nearly as well as the Heat. Um, but I might go against you, Rashawn. I might take the Bucks at home on that one. I don't know. That should be a good one. That should be a good one. Um. So Rashawn says LeBron wasn't the problem. Um, That it's the Lakers front office. That's the problem with this team now in regards to Jeremy Bowers and an inner uh, discussional chat. I don't fully agree with that because they didn't make a single move without LeBron. Okaying it. Um, My dog barked for the maybe fourth time ever uh anyway don't even know what she's looking at uh lebron signed off on every one of those transactions he's the one that pushed for the lakers to sacrifice all those assets to get ad and then shot down the buddy healed for kuzma and trez and instead wanted to go out and get westbrook and give up kuz trez plus kcp plus picks um and if you don't think that LeBron was leading the charge on that front, I don't know that you that, that that's my understanding. I wasn't in the room, but there's no way the Lakers who catered to the superstar on their team um, 
better than anyone. And by all accounts, LeBron now has more power than Kobe ever did. Uh, perhaps it's because Kobe was drafted by the team. So it's a different dynamic as opposed to when you're trying to lure in the superstar free agent like LeBron. So you got to give him more uh, of a leash in determining what's going on here. But I, I, Le- I blame LeBron damn near as much as Palinka. Because I don't think Palinka makes a single one of these moves, the big moves, without LeBron signing off on it. So when he's blaming his GM, it's like the GM did everything you asked him to do. This is not the GM's fault that they can't magically make first-round draft assets appear out of nowhere, like future picks that they can just trade. Like it's easy to praise Presti when he's sitting on 57 draft picks, but that team is still in the bottom of the West with no clear real identity. They've got some very interesting pieces in SGA and Giddy and Dort, but interesting pieces does not translate into a championship. So it's easy to praise somebody with you know, potential versus the reality. Um, but anyway, I, the, I think that's it for today. We've gone 53 minutes. We talked about all the surging teams to keep an eye on Rashawn. I apologize that I uh, potentially opted against your guys tonight, but uh, I'll stick with it. I'll say the bucks depending what, whatever the spread is. Um, but I imagine the sp- spread is pretty close considering how well Miami has been playing as of late. So if you think M- Milwaukee's going to win, you might as well take them because more than likely Miami is favored in this game, but I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that is it for dropping dimes this week. Thank you to everybody that showed up. A lively chat. Tons of people watching live. Uh, apologize for being off last week, but I will be riding it out until uh, the end of the season. Not missing a week unless something major happens in my life. Um, but that's it for dropping times. You can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost. I'll see you guys next week with another brand new edition. Uh, until then, stay safe out there. I'll see you guys next week. Adios. Thank <laughs> you.